I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, it started with Norman Banks and Ormsby Wilkins in the 1960s, but Talkback Radio then revolutionised our listening habits in Australia. Audiences became so close to their radio hosts. Mr Hinch, welcome again to That's Life. Thank you, Sunshine. Talk Back Radio. Talk Back Radio, you know. It's you've, a, you've earned your income from Talk Back Radio. I did for many years. Um, it's extraordinary, you know. Um, it started with um, Norman Banks and Ormsby Wilkins, who were the two, I think, pioneers of Talk Back Radio. But the restrictions on it in the early days were so strong, so pungent, you know, um, what you could say and couldn't say and when you could and when you couldn't. Um, 2UE and 3AW were the two first talkback stations, I think, in Australia, and they become powerhouses of, of talkback. Then 2GB in Sydney took over, 3AW remained strong in, in Melbourne. Um, when I came to Melbourne to 3AW, first I came to 3XY, Five to nine, fine and royal. Three X Y, fourteen twenty two, October. Three X Y, yeah, three. And you say, yeah, fine and royal, five to nine. <laughs> and I was only there for a few months. I got sacked, and uh, then I came. Then I went to three A W, and as the age said at the time, I have the worst voice in radio, which I, I agree with, but it was distinctive, and people just knew who I was and what I was, and it was and it was bringing journalism. To radio, that's what made it different. Um, you had never done talkback radio, obviously. You Before didn't, you didn't do it at three XY. Uh, no, no, you no. Taking calls there at three AW, you did. We did. Yeah. Well, well, what's the skill, or, or how did you find sort of getting well, the skill? Well, ironically, to... it has changed so much because um, computers have made it easier for talkback hosts. I mean, when I started on three AW doing talkback, we didn't even want to know the name of a person calling. Just, who cares? I mean, your name's Amy, Zany, who who knows? Were you tell me the truth or not? And so you just said, caller, hello, caller. And they'd come on and they'd spray and you'd have to try and answer it. These days, of course, you've got computers and people put up on the screen what they want to talk about. Uh, I used to argue to my staff, don't ever say to the caller, what do you want to say? Because it makes it sound like we're being contrived. Say to them, what do you want to talk about? So politics or da be da be da whatever. Um, and that was a difference. Um, I remember one time, it was so contrived and controlled in the early days. I remember uh, in the election that finally Malcolm Fraser, who'd banned me for years, came back on my 3AW program and we did an interview. Back in 83, I guess it was, if you were calling in to a radio station during an election, the producer, my producer Paul Barber, would have to look up in the phone book to verify your name and your address because they wouldn't put just Joe Blow on air. So it slowed things down. The producer had to look up your name, your address, and say, yep, that's you. Now we'll put you on. And I remember Malcolm Fraser said to me, why is it taking so long? 
I said, because of your effing, you know, restrictions. He said, well, that's stupid. I'm prepared to drop it if you are. So I said, okay, let's do it now. So we just started saying, bang, that was the very first day that anybody could call a radio station and just blur and just talk. And, of course, now with mobile phones, mm. uh, people can ring up for wherever they are, may, may even in the car, or, uh, you know, tell us a, a, a story that's happening or something that may have happened uh, uh, that no one else knows about. I, I, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Darren, but uh, a guy had tested positive to HIV mm. and uh, then just went crazy commandeered some staff at the bottom of the Westgate Bridge. There's a service station there. He went in there with a, a gun, took some people hostage. They had to close the bridge. And he was actually listening to it all unfold on 3AW mm. and listening to what the presenters were saying. Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a, a big danger. I mean, we had that once with Willisie in a situation like that where... Uh, I think it was, and Mike Munro was sent into a hostage situation. There's a huge responsibility on Talkback Radio. There's a massive responsibility, and, and you've got to be careful at times. You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't. Funny enough, Bob Rogers, who re- retired from radio uh, in October, he finished his last shift on um, CH in Sydney at the age of 93 been in radio since he joined 3XY in the 1940s. And he's like a brother to me. Uh, But Bob Rogers once told me, he said, never learn how to work the equipment or you'll have to work weekends. (laughs) (laughs) And and I never did and I never did because all those years in radio, decades in radio, I'm useless with equipment. The only thing I insisted on was one thing. And that was the kill button. I had total control of the kill button because decades ago, Michael Fraser was my producer. And I'd said something on the air and I said, oh, this mad bastard done it out. And I walked out of the room and Michael Fraser said, I got that. It's his second day, I think, on the job. He said, I got that. I said, what do you mean? He said, I killed that. I said, what did you kill? He said, when you said bastard. I said, Michael... Don't you ever, ever censor me again or you've lost your job. Because <laughs> he was so proud of the fact that he hit the kill button and the word bastard didn't go to air. The, the, the thing about radio too, it's live. There's this seven-second delay with callers. But when it's live, you know, you find yourself saying things that maybe you didn't plan to say, maybe just came mm. out. Have you ever been embarrassed or, or regretted something you've well, said? Seven seconds, believe it or not, is not that long. It really isn't. I mean, it may say, oh, it's a seven-second delay. It's not that long. I I rarely would use the kill button, uh, very, very, very rarely, only if it was defamatory and, and somebody had said something so defamatory you couldn't defend it or couldn't check the accuracy, so you might hit the button and, and, and take take them off air. Um no, I, I, I usually stood by what I said, and I'd defend it, and people would hate me for it sometimes, uh, and they did, and I, I, I accepted that. But where Talkback came into power, was it, it brought the suburbs to the city, 
it brought what people were thinking out in the burbs to the CBD. And too often, I suppose, people on the radio, we, we work in the city, we often live in the city, it just, it really... It really rationalised things and, 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 and made things more real, I think. And I was quite happy with that. Uh, there is a difference also between Melbourne and Sydney mm. in the presenters and the way they go about things. Sydney seems to be a little bit more, you know, in your face. There's, there's, yes. there's, there's the, uh, the you know, shouting of opinions, the forcing of opinions down, down Look, your throat. Look, I had very good ratings. In, in Melbourne, you know, I mean, at some stage you're rating in the mid twenties. At one stage we had more ratings than all the FM stations put together, right? Uh, but I always believed I probably could have had even higher ratings if I'd been more Sydneyfied, if I'd been more right wing, rabid, Stanzamanic type of person, which I didn't do. Because uh, I didn't believe it and I didn't wasn't interested. I mean, if they brought Zamanic from Sydney to Melbourne. And didn't work. Uh, they brought laws from city to three UZ for a while. It didn't work. You know, um, uh, it's hard to, 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 to explain it. But yeah, that Sydney radio style. I mean, Alan Jones was a very, very successful radio person, amazingly successful, probably the most successful in Australia. But he um, he was so extremely right wing and and harrowing at times. Whereas down here. They didn't seem to work. I, 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 I felt I like to... Uh, I mean, I had a plan on when I first joined radio in Melbourne. Now, I have sort of mentioned this before. I saw, being a naive radio person, being a print journo, I saw radio as an oral newspaper. Right? Um, my 8.30 opening comment, which Darren James used to call the 8.30 pull-through... To me, that was my page one lead. You know, I did an editorial, very dominant, very opinionated on what I believe. I did something there. And it was what you believed. Yes. You weren't just putting you know, your finger up into the wind and trying to pick where. And that's the point. See, if, if you're in Sydney Radio, you might say something just to make the shock jock point. You know, I, I loathe the word shock jock. I, I don't think I ever was. But I put out a, an opening editorial... Then I'd do sort of, sort of entertainment, like where I was the night before, or I've been to a show, or I've been to a movie, or da 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 I always did what the papers say, which was a, uh, a thing about... And I would interpret why I thought the papers were right or wrong and the angle they were taking. Uh, then there was, the, as I said, the entertainment segment, and then there was a features section where I'd interview somebody, you know, like a, like, like a doctor or a, or a psychologist or something like that. So... And you went through those stages every day. And then on a Friday, we'd have an hour of sport. And they were the sports pages. So it really was uh, a newspaper on air is what I, what I tried to put through and, and, and seemingly successfully. Do you remember any particular uh, calls that you had from people? Because I'm going to raise one with you now. Was there one particular caller that you know raised an issue with you or uh... not off the top of my head well i remember listening and uh, uh you were talking about uh, issues of pedophilia and a caller rang up and said 3aw how dare you talk about this sort of stuff you got one of them in your newsroom and 
It was a guy called Jason Wayne. Yes. And he had been run out of Tasmania, as far as I knew. Somewhere in Sunshine, was he eventually, or somewhere? Not, not sure. Oh, okay. uh, you have a memory of that? I do indeed. I do indeed, because uh, he was a he was a uh, a convicted pedophile. And and of course, the other story is. And uh, I know, wait, 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 how would we know? You know, and I, I look I, I'm, from memory. I think he'd, he'd, he was in a place like Sunshine. I'm pretty sure it was out in that area anyway, yeah. Not, not sure. Uh, the other thing is, uh, within the midst of 3AW, there was somebody who was preying on women. Mm. And uh, he was presenting a program at night. Alex And he Kenworthy. was pretending to be Alex a man of, uh, of God. Yeah. Uh, you saw what was going on with that. Well, I had, I, I had done... I know all about the Alex Kenworthy case. Um, one was at, where my boss said, drop off it because he rates well. And I said, no, I can't. And I actually had, a, no, had no, one of his victims your, wrote to me. Your boss being Brian White. Brian White. Now, that's a pretty difficult decision for mm. you to make because uh, you're going against management. He could sack me. Management. Yeah. To his credit, he didn't sack you. No, and he no, he didn't. And to your credit, you continued to go on yeah. with the story and chase it because, yeah. in the end, what was uncovered was horrible. Well, two couple of things there. Um, I had a letter from a woman, and accusing Alex Kenworthy of being a, 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 a sexual predator, and I found out from some of his panel operators that at night time he'd be running his feet up women's legs in the, in the studio and stuff. And uh, you know, this woman wrote to me and detailed it. Um, he propositioned one woman at her husband's funeral. Uh, now, this is a man of God. Um, and uh, I won't go to all the details, but two things happened. One, this woman who wrote to me said, a dear friend of yours knows this is true because his pillow talked to me about her having marital problems with her husband. So I had to go to my friend and say, look, I hate to do this, but I need to, to know if this woman's lying to me or if this is legitimate, but have you been seeing a counsellor about your husband and your marital problems? And they were quite famous people. And she said, yes. So I, and, and the counsellors were seeing was Alex Kimworthy, who pillow talked with this woman. So I went to see Kimworthy out at um, the Baptist church or Baptist office he had somewhere out of Hawthorne or Kew or somewhere. And he said, oh, and he, he's so unctuous. He said, oh, Darren, what's your problem? And I said, Alex, it's not my problem, it's your problem. And I spelled it out to him. And then I left 3AW and I broke the story on Channel 7 um, and Kenworthy went on air to defend himself and I found out later that that all the execs at 3AW were there sitting on the kill button to try to make sure Kenworthy didn't didn't go too far because by this stage they knew I was telling the truth. You know? Well, he'd threatened to take legal action yeah. and while that legal action was going through the process, they allowed him to remain on air. Mm. Uh, it was only when he dropped that legal action that they basically uh, sacked, him. sacked him and then he died some time later. But I, 
I remember, uh, I think it was Pamela Graham. Yes. And a television crew chasing, chasing him, him down the street. <laughs> from his office, he was going off to, uh, to buy lunch. Breathtaking in the hypocrisy of it, though, mm. really, isn't it? That here's this guy who's a Baptist minister counselling people about marriages and he's preying on women in this way and so openly and thinking he could get away he, with he'd, it. He'd say to them, um, oh, let me come and counsel you after I get off air at midnight. And a friend of mine whom he um, tried to seduce said he actually would lie on the floor because he had such pressure on his life from all the problems he was solving for other people. He put a handkerchief on his head and lie on the ground, which didn't sound very sexy to me. But uh, yeah, that, that Pamela Graham chasing him down the street was, was quite something. And then, of course, it shows that, as they say, apples don't fall far from the tree. His son was convicted of rape later on. Uh, he raped a woman who lived near the family home. Mm. In fact, from a window of the family home, he could see into her apartment. And he was only uh, convicted because of DNA evidence that linked him to the crime which occurred 15, 20 years ago. That's right. I I think a fingerprint on a window screen or something like that, you know. Quite, Quite extraordinary. Uh, Darren, the power of uh, talkback radio um, and its effect on politicians. Now, Howard used talkback radio quite extremely well. Well, um, so did Hawke. Yeah, other politicians seem to not enjoy. No, it. Um, Daniel Andrews, for example, here in Victoria, doesn't want to. Uh, expose himself. No, he doesn't. He hasn't hasn't been on 3AW for months, I I don't think. But even on the ABC, he he rarely Mm. appears. When I was a politician, I I used it, um, and I I think it's a great way of communicating with people and put your hand up and be prepared to answer any question you are asked. I mean, that's as long as it's not defamatory, that's the way it goes. Uh, And I I think talk about radio is very healthy at the moment. I mean, Mitchell's been doing it for, for years, uh, here and very successfully, um, I see Ben Fordham in Sydney has held kept the ratings up uh, quite well when he replaced Alan Jones, you know, uh, he, and he's not as not as virulent or as opinionated as Jones was, so that that is working. Um, the ABC works works fairly well as well, you know. Um, Virginia Trioli, uh, I think, is is rating is rating quite well. Uh, the weirdest thing, I shouldn't even admit this to you. I have not listened to radio since December 2012 when I I left 3AW. I couldn't even find a radio in my house. I watch TV news for hours and hours on end. I I understand the the power of radio, but probably because I was in it, I just... I haven't had the interest to even turn it on. I see some little grabs occasionally because they come up on Twitter and I see a, a news grab of some sort from 3AW or somewhere, but uh, but that's all. What do you know about radio in the United States? Well, that they well they were do, they've been doing it for for decades, you know, and the uh, they are even more they are very Sydney Sydney style, very opinionated, very loud. Very whatever, and but networked as well. You know, networking yeah. never seemed to work here. In uh, no, it Australia. hasn't because uh, 
they tried it. Um, Kerry Packer tried it and cost him $60 million with TUE and uh, 3AK. Uh, it's never worked here. Laws didn't work in Melbourne. Uh, Jones didn't work in Melbourne. Uh, for some reason, we are very parochial in the way of, you know, Melbourne, whatever. I mean, I mean when, when they tried to um, put the, the whole national thing in from TUE, with George Negus and Don Lane and Darby Darby. I mean, Don Lane goes on air and says, hello down there in Melbourne. That really goes down when you're sitting in Melbourne listening to radio, isn't it? He's talking about the result of some Sydney basketball game and says, hello down there in Melbourne. Doesn't work, you know, and uh, I suspect that's why it hasn't worked. Uh, we are, we, we, we focus on our own a lot. What was the attraction of John Laws, do you think? Because he wasn't... I'll tell you why. I'll be be rude and crude and tell you. I asked the boss of 2UE once, what's the attraction of John Laws? And you know what he said? He said, because the way he sounds, women think he's got big balls. (laughs) There's your answer. (laughs) He was never a journalist, and no. he got himself in he's a, a, he's a, rock job. Yeah. A, a lot of trouble because he didn't write any of his editorials. No. And, uh, well, uh, uh, of course... Cash- he, got, he got a murder trial aborted once. Correct, because a, a, a young uh, producer of his uh, wrote an editorial about a guy... Saying this guy's obviously guilty. ...who was in court, mm. but the case hadn't been finished. <laughs> That's so, true. So, so the case aborted. Cash for comment was another big thing. That well, back were. then I, I was on radio, and I uh, on three W, and I. This is why my antipathy to war and my John Laws hates me, and still probably. He called Bob Rogers and I walked up to our table at a restaurant once and called us something or other C's, you know, despicable um, C's, mm-hmm. despicable despicable C's. C's. That's what he called us anyway. And I had my tape recorder on the table which Bob pushed towards Laws, but out of respect, for, for, I turned it off. I said, well, somebody comes to your table, you don't leave a mic on. But anyway, that's that. But um, I, at the time, thought that Alan Jones and John Laws should have been banned from radio for 10 to 20 years. Cash for comment was the most despicable things because they lied to their audiences. I mean, John Laws, who'd been bagging the banks for years... Suddenly he says, oh, on the line now, the head of such and such a bank. Oh, good morning, so-and-so. And, and started praising the banks. Not, and we didn't know, and the audience didn't know, he was being paid something like 200 grand a year to do this interview. It was, it was cash for comment. Explain for people who are younger, who, who don't remember exactly what happened. Okay, Alan Jones and John Laws in Sydney were both paid money by big companies, especially banks, to give co- positive comments on their radio programs about those banks. And in John Law's case, he made it sound like the bank chief had just called in of his own accord when the radio station had called the banker and then praised the bank, you know, and said, oh, yes, you're wonderful in WWW. And, and they made a lot of money. Out of, out of this, and it was it was cash for comment was exactly right. There were other people involved in it, um, but I they, they were the two worst ones, and I thought they should have been banned from radio for at least ten years. 
And they weren't. Uh, what came out of that was uh, this requirement that on the websites of the personal radio stations that uh, every presenter had their list of uh, who their sponsors mm. were, for example, uh, so that if uh, you were being paid by a bank, Westpac or something like that, you knew that uh, you know Westpac had given you fifty thousand. But but, but, but like Laws made a juggler. He had a cowbell in his in his studio, and he ring the cowbell every time he mentioned a sponsor. You know, I mean, he and Jones made hundreds of thousands of dollars out of cash for comment, and they got away with it. So you, you didn't know if you were listening whether they firmly believed the opinions that they were saying or whether. They were paid to mm. say those. To have those opinions. Well, Laws had bagged the banks for years. And suddenly he's praising them because he's being paid $100,000 a year from the banks. It was an extraordinary time. The only guy in Melbourne that I think uh, was caught out, not to the same extent as Laws and Jones, was Bruce Mansfield. Yes, uh, he, and there was also questions about Steve Price at one stage too yeah, in I, Sydney. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anything happened with mm. Price. You and Price have a bit of a history, though, don't oh, you? Oh, we do. Yeah, yeah. The Poison Dwarf. Yeah, you, we. You, you sued each other or something? Mm? Was he sued you or you sued him? Uh, I actually, um, yeah, I sued him, and we worked at the same company. I sued him. He was on Two U I'm on Three W, and uh, and the company paid me fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. We did. He called you names. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, he said I was. I'd, I'd been notoriously drunk on air. I think I'm, I'm not, not. I can't remember. It's a long time ago now. But something he said I was or often was drunk on air, and uh, that was to me as profession as a professional. That was just disgusting. This comes now to egos, Darren. <clears throat> I mean, you know, to get up in front of a microphone and to. Tell the masses, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, your opinion. It takes confidence and ego, really. Well, as the Skyhawks would say, ego's not a dirty word. Um, and if you didn't have an ego, you wouldn't be in radio. You wouldn't put your name up there. You wouldn't put your voice up there. You wouldn't do it. I mean, you've, you, and also, you've got to be able to wear what you say. You know, I mean, I hear sometimes on, you know, you hear some really stupid things being said and think, Jesus, I, I wouldn't want to have to back that one up, you know. So then you've got to, you know, you, there's the bruising of the ego. T t two egos come together, mm. particularly at radio stations. I mean, for example, you and well, Mark. M m me and Mitchell didn't speak for years. Yeah, you and Mark Day would often sort yep. of clash. Yeah, well, because Brian White, who's a boss, encouraged that. He encouraged the fact that Mark Day and I used to fight like crazy. I mean... I, I called him a pimp on air once um, because he owned Truth newspaper and Truth took money from prostitutes who put ads in Truth. So I've, my argument was if you take taken money from prostitutes, that called, that makes you a pimp. Well, that, that's a reasonable argument. And uh, But we, no, Mark and I did not. And we still really bristle at each other. The problem with Mark and I was... <sighs> Go back. We both have beards. We're both large people. We worked against each other in New York in the 60s or 70s. He was on the Daily Mirror as a foreign correspondent. I was on the Sydney Sun as a foreign correspondent. We then come back. We both then independently come back to Australia. He's editor of the Daily Mirror in Sydney. I'm editor of the Sydney Sun. 
you know. So the shit fight was always on, you know. And I would run front pages of the of the Daily Mirror in the sun, you know. I mean, I'd point out how bad they were. Um, I'll give you two. I think I've given these examples before. I had a poster in my my office in at Three AW, um, where um, uh, it said something like "rape horror," right? And it was Margot Hemingway was in a movie in which her character was raped. So there's no rape and no horror. It was a movie. And they had this story as if it was all real. Another time, they had, I, I put this one in, in the paper, they had uh, shock, Whitlam divorce. And you read the small princess, lies, says Margaret. <laughs> there, was, there, there was no Whitlam divorce. There was no shock. There was no horror. But that was the way. And I, I tried to change that. I mean, I remember my predecessor, Jack Tear, editor of the City Sun, used to boast about phony posters, you know. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Like They had, I remember once, just when I was still a young journo at the, at the Sun, and the headlines, the poster said, Liz Taylor Sick, right? the actress, and she was the most famous actress in the world. Then it says, Liz Grave, Liz Sinking. And as they put these posters out every edition. And the last edition said, Film Star Dies. Right? It wasn't Liz Taylor. It was some two-bit British actor. But they thought that was funny. And I thought it was a con. It, it, well, it is a con, and it destroys the credibility of the media in yeah. general and the newspaper uh, in, in, in particular. I mean, the Sunday Observer... The, the guy who died was George Formby, an accordion player. Right, <laughs> so. I, I have heard that name. The Sunday Observer and the Sunday Press here mm. in Melbourne, they were, they were that sort of uh, newspaper. I mean, mm. I remember seeing in a headline, Ernie Sigley Heart Attack. This was when Ernie was big in 1974. Mm. Ernie never had a heart attack. Uh, but how they explained all that, I, I, I don't know. Well, but the that's, observer, that's the what observer, they used to, yeah, to sell the The papers. Observer put out a, a poster once, which I, put, I took, framed and hung in my bathroom, and it said, Hinch Steaks, PM, because uh, uh, Fraser and I were having an argument, the Prime Minister, and they said, Hinch Stinks, PM. And so I thought, I'll oh, hang it in the toilet. So. Darren, I wanted to uh, quickly ask you about interviewing uh, people. This is something you've done for years on television. Mm. Uh, uh, one particular interview that I, I wanted to ask you about was G. Gordon Liddy. What's that? G. Gordon Liddy. Oh, yeah. Now, he was one of the operatives who broke into Watergate. the Watergate mm. Hotel. Uh, I think he was a CIA agent he as was. well. Now, I remember you interviewing him on television and you were looking at each other, you know, unblinking. Yeah, it was one of the best interviews or worst interviews I've ever done. And what happened, I was I was filling in for Willisey. I was in the Willisey 81 program. And as a, as a courtesy, I walk into the makeup room or the green room and there's G. Gordon Liddy and he's a toughest guy. He once said, I'd, 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 I'd walk over, I'd kill my grandmother for Richard Nixon. You know, he was that tough. Anyway, I remember him saying to you, I could kill you with a pencil. Well, I'll get, I'll get to that. What happened was I walk into the makeup room, you shake his hand, say, Mr. Liddy, Darren Hinch, hello, hello, hello. He have no idea that I'd been in Washington and covered Watergate. So I knew everything about G. Gordon Liddy you could possibly know. And I said, uh, Mr. Liddy, hello. I'll see you in a minute. 
we get into the studio, it's live, and he's sitting there and I introduce him. I, very, I did a very vague, um, saccharine sort of intro and now one of the Watergate people, gee, good Liddy, Mr. Liddy, good evening. And he smiles, says, good evening. And I said, you, my first question, you must be one of the, one of the uh, toughest son of a bitches that God ever put breath into. And he looked at me like, where is this coming from? <laughs> yeah, you must be one of the toughest son of a bitches God ever put breath into. And he looked at me and he suddenly said, and our eyes locked, you're quite right. We just, neither of us blinked. We looked at each other for minutes and he looked at me and he said, he had a pencil in his hand. He held up to my throat and he said, you know, I could kill you with this pencil right now. <laughs> it was pretty good television. And, and for some reason, it became a sort of macho thing. Neither of us would look away and neither of us would blink. But just st staring at him, he's holding this bloody pencil up to my throat, and I'm just staring him down. It was yeah. The the interesting thing is he is or has been a radio talkback host. Yeah, in the United States. That's true. And the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, was also a radio talkback. Is that host. right? Yes. Ronald Reagan was a radio host years and years ago. In, in 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 something like Steubenville, Ohio, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. he he was a, a sports commentator. He was, too. yes, he, he was, do, he was, uh, 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 and he was a a lifeguard. Apparently, he saved quite a lot of people. Quite a charming guy, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you ever meet him at all? Um, look, I, I can't recall. To be honest, uh, I know I covered, I covered his his his, his um, I covered his presidential campaign campaigns, uh, but I. I really can't remember. If I remember rightly, you went over for one of the. No, I was I was living there. I mean, I was there for. No, but when you were working at Three AW. No, they never sent me anywhere. <laughs> Not once. Well, you can't say that because you went to China. Oh, and you that went was to the, Africa. That was the old days. When I came <laughs> back, that was in the eighties. When I came back. In 12 years, whatever, whatever, how many years I did with AW, I did not get one trip. I wanted to go to New York for the Obama campaign. And I was doing nights now. I think I was doing eight till midnight those days. And uh, and no, they never sent me anywhere. But I had some great trips with them. I got a grant. I mean, I had to force them. The one to China to broadcast live from Beijing was just extraordinary. It had never been, never been done before to the Western world. Mr. Hinch? Uh, Talkback Radio is uh, an amazing animal, and uh, let's hope it keeps going because it will. It's, a, it's a way of, uh, you know, allowing people, as you said, from the suburbs to express their uh, point of view. And I guess it's the original uh, social media. Good to talk to you.